You know, I think it's time we get back in touch with our man side by indulging in toxic masculinity, drinking cheap beer, and watching the Raid movies. Guys, welcome to the Messed Up at Midnight podcast, the show that has somehow, way, survived every single after movie. I'm your host, Max Steele, and as always, I'm joined by Michael Flaherty. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm just glad. I'm just glad. I'm so, like, it's... The after movies have broken me down and it's, you know what, after seeing just uh, manlets, just gaslight gatekeep and just emotionally abuse their significant others. And then their significant others are also just toxic pieces of trash. It's good to get back to brass tacks and just watch, watch hot, sweaty people just beat each other to a pulp. And I do want to let the audience know, peel behind the curtain a little bit. We're actually recording this before we've seen after everything. So we're just making a gross assumption that the movie is going to be terrible. Were we right or were we wrong? You guys can let us know. So, but I'm just, I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to run with the assumption that we were right because there's no fucking way that this movie pulled it, out, pulled, pulled the series out of its ass, dude. Wasn't it so crazy when Tessa Stone Cold stared Harden in the wedding and after everything? Wasn't that so wild? Like, my favorite part of the wedding is when someone throws a Steve Weiser out of frame left and Tessa grabs it, slams it against her head, and just chugs it. You know, speaking of slamming heads, that actually is a very nice segue into the movies we're talking about this week. Guys, it's going to be one of those episodes today. We're not going to go beat for beat uh, through the plot of these movies. And if you're wondering, we're talking about the two Raid movies, The Raid Redemption and The Raid 2. We'll be having a little bit more of a discussion on this duo- on this Indonesian duology. Now, Mike, what do you think of these two movies? <laughs> Fucking 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, baby. <laughs> 10 out of 10 on IMDb. It's about time this we is- cover a 10 out of 10 movie. <laughs> it is, dude. It is. See, the fir- they're both... I got to say, the weaker of the two, Raid 2, purely because the Raid 2 had to do more. But my God, both of these movies just, they scratch the itch, man. Mm-hmm. They scratch the freaking itch. Mm-hmm. It's, you've got enough storyline to care, enough plot devices to to want the characters to win and to care when they do and don't succeed. Mm-hmm. But it's also just a martial arts movie, man. Mm-hmm. They're they're after just giving you what you're what you want, and my god, the raid delivers in every conceivable way. Mm-hmm. Like they all they go above and beyond in everything. Yeah, the raid is an amazing martial arts movie. It's it's simple in a good way. It takes place all in one like apartment building. But the second one. I had not ever seen before, but when I watched it, I got to tell you, I was not expecting a two and a half hour crime epic that they just wanted to throw at us. Dude, I, okay, I'm so glad. Dude, it's crazy to me that this is the first time you've seen it because I've, spoiler alert listeners, I've seen The Raid like five times and I've seen The Raid 2 like two times Mm -hmm. mainly because the raid two is two and a half hours it is not a it's not a small little thing that you just hop in on but what did you think of the raid two compared to the raid one we talked about the raid one it's Mm -hmm. simple but it gets its point across and Mm -hmm. it's actiony what about the raid two so the raid two is 
it's it takes like aspects of the first movie whereas like the first movie like yeah there was some crime stuff going on but we were mainly here for the action it was throwing action at you we do get action in the second one but it really takes a focus in on the crime plot introducing like this mobster subplot and like these gang these gangsters in this family and our lead rama having to go to prison to you know do some undercover work to try to get out it's I feel like for me, I would rewatch the raid more times, but that's not saying the raid two is bad. It's just because the raid two is such a beef of a movie. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's just so beefy. Both of these movies, I will say fucking exhausted me in a good way. Like the first one exhausted me like with a nonstop action. Like after the first gunshot, it's we're going. Like we're we're rolling with it, and I'm like, cool, let's go. And by the end of it, I'm like, oh man, it felt like I just like went through like a went through like a ten mile run or something. But then like, then like <laughs> it's go ahead, exactly. Oh no, no, I was just agreeing with you. It's like it's it's after a really good workout where you've got that where you still have the 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 sort of uh, the dopamine mm-hmm. and serotonin or whatever the happy gene happy chemical is that gets released mm-hmm. where it's just you're just satisfied you're just happy and you're kind of like oh hell yeah mm-hmm. it's it's so nice it's so great but continue yeah, but the second one it's the same way that i was exhausted from at the end of this movie the same way you're exhausted at like the end of the godfather or the end of goodfellas where it's like this big journey that the movie is taking you on and you're just kind of like taking a breath at the end and you're like damn that was that that, that was something that certainly was yeah. something exactly exactly it's the thing what i really liked about the second movie and and listeners we are going to harp on the first movie make no mistake but we're talking about the second movie as of right now it's what i like about the second movie is that the second movie it it's it still it, it took liberties and it and it didn't half ass it's like crime story mm-hmm. it really felt like it really felt like uh, gareth evans the guy who directed the two of these movies really sat down with the writers and went, okay, you know these little nuggets that we sprinkled in in the first one? How do we make that two and a half hours and actually put effort into it instead of just slapping together a half-assed, like, cop undercover movie? Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned those, like, little nuggets that you, that he sprinkled in at the beginning because, like, it really makes... It, there wasn't, like, a big jump from the first movie to the second movie. It made sense I could see how we take this action movie that is not that's nonstop go. There's martial arts. There's gunfire. There is police. There is a lot of like um, a lot of action, and then taking that and then also saying, "Hey, here's the world outside of this. Let's let's go mm-hmm. explore it." And I mean, in the second movie, the world felt massive. Like it felt so it felt so big and so lived in. And like each character you saw, you were kind of like. What's going on with them? Like, what's going on with um, Beiju, this really evil guy we have in the second movie? What's going on with Uko and his deal with his family? What's going on with Hammer Girl and Baseball Bat Guy? Like, there's just so much, (laughs) so many characters, and you don't get, like, bogged down by too many of them. Whereas, like, with the first movie, here are these police guys. Let's go in. Let's Let's have some guys do Salat on some, like, gangsters, and let's 
get some gunfire in there. We're going to have a good time. Exactly. Exactly. It's the second movie really just gave you all of these characters that you cared about mm-hmm. really, which is, which is really nice because even the bad guys, like even the people who are the movie really makes apparent are the, are the bad guys, people like Uko and his dad mm. and all of the gangsters they the movie does a really good job of making you you don't ever not think that they're the bad guys mm-hmm. but at all points the movie also will give you nuggets that makes you go oh okay so it makes you weirdly kind of it humanizes them mm-hmm. that's the best way to say it it the movie also works its ass off to humanize every single character mm-hmm. to where you're almost almost like wanting them to like be good or like to stop being like just like reprehensible and then they just keep going yeah and that's something that that like we cover a lot of bad movies if 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 you haven't noticed that's something that a lot of these bad movies are missing are these like human characters like and we'll get into this later on in the podcast but like even in the first movie we take like five, 10, 15 minutes at the beginning of our movie to establish who this guy Rama is and ha- mm-hmm. and who he is. He has a family. He, you know, he has, he has these little like people moments where, where we're able to see him as just, you know, a dude and not like some invincible super soldier sprinting into a building and like, you know, shoulder tackling it. And then it fucking collapses. We don't get that. We see, no, this is just, a dude that you would see like at a bar somewhere on like a Thursday night, just your average ordinary guy. Exactly. That's, that's the thing that I really, really applaud is this movie. And it's, I mean, Lord, it's hard to not call it. It's Western counterpart, John wick. Mm -hmm. Like they both take a huge chunk of time out of the first bit of the movie to really hammer home that this is just an average Joe dude. Mm -hmm. Granted, he's a he dated. They are cut from a different fucking cloth than you and mm-hmm. me. But they're still like they still grab their freaking groceries at like Seven Eleven or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Like they're still doing the basics. Mm-hmm. It's just they're a wee bit built different. <laughs> now, what about the action, Mike? Did you really like? I really liked how they blended gunfire and hand to hand combat. Like in the first movie and in the second movie, too. But it really it really shows in this first movie. Yeah. So I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to pivot from the second movie to the first movie, because the second movie is very story heavy. Mm -hmm. The first movie is giving you enough story. Mm -hmm. The first movie is giving you enough story to essentially justify this like fucking street fighter level of a of a movie. So the action this is the action in this movie is so tight, so technical, and so heart pumping. It's really amazing. Like Salat as a style, I I've I feel is such a great martial arts for blending modern, more modern weaponry mm-hmm. with traditional fighting. Cause like the problem with like Kung Fu movies, like, and granted I am a Kung Fu movie lover. Like my God, I can recite the 36 chambers of Shaolin from memory, but it gets a little corny mm-hmm. at times. And when you incorporate 
guns into the mix of these kung fu movies, you get movies like Equilibrium, where it's just gun fu, where it is just the absolute corniest fighting you have ever conceived. It's so that's what I really loved about this because Southeast Southeast Asian martial art movies particular they they started off with Ong Bak in 2003, mm-hmm. but the Southeast Asian martial art genre, the way it differs from the like the North Asian martial arts genres like uh Korean martial arts, Japanese and particularly Chinese, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot tighter, it's a lot more intense. Mm-hmm. And it feels more, I don't know, it feels, it also feels more brutal. Like even the, even the silly martial arts movies from Southeast Asia are still, I feel like more intense yeah, the sh- than most of the other yeah, ones. Yeah, the strikes just feel heavier. And even watching some of these movies, I was like, are they doing like some type of wing? They were doing, it looks like they were doing like some Wing Chun thrown in there with these like long, brutal, like low leg kicks. And it really props to the martial artists in this movie. It's a style of a Pincot Salat. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And speaking of the guns and the actors, I'm reading this from the trivia page on IMDb that I just pulled up. All of the guns used in this movie are airsoft replicas and not functioning firearms. All the shots of guns action, uh, all the gun, all the shots of the guns action, cycling, muzzle flashes, and casing ejecting were added in post. I, th- that is a good example. And again, I love bringing things into CGI. That is a, a good example of blending practicality with digital effects. Because if if there wasn't like you know some smoke coming off of the gun or like some muzzle flash or anything like that. We would just be like, dude, whose fucking student film j- just got like a million dollar <laughs> grant and they just couldn't hire a post guy? Exactly. Yeah. It's so I love that you brought that up because I kid you not. I 100 percent thought they were just using like blanks mm-hmm. or whatever. Like they were just doing the conventional thing like a movie set does where they just bring on blanks mm-hmm. just but with real gun weight. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. That's actually crazy. That is, that is a like textbook how you do CGI in action. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, the raid as a whole is like that is alongside alongside the first John Wick. That is the the those are the textbook movies on how you do action because mm-hmm. like that's how you do it from a like cinematography from a choreography. From a like, from a visual standpoint, everything in 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 the raid is is so fantastically done mm-hmm. in terms of setting things up for a fight. So great. So, Mike, now I want I want to ask you the ever most important we have here on this podcast, which Ooh. is all right. If the raid movies were a drink, what would they be and why? Okay, all right. Listeners, whenever a heart pumping movie comes into play, the, the 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 gut reaction between at least myself, I'm not gonna throw my co-host into this, but myself is to reach for tequila. It's wild, it's crazy. You know something's something wild's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not going with it this time. I'm okay. going with a bourbon okay. because the raid felt 
too sophisticated. It felt like something that you, yeah, you're pre it's 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 fighting. You need fighting juice, but there's more to it than just the fighting. Because the raid two takes the heart pumpingness that the raid one gave you, and then goes, but what if? But what if there was more to this? And you go, oh, I wasn't expecting there to be more, but I'm happy that there's more. So I'm going with a bourbon. Now, don't break the bank. Get a good cheap bourbon. Let's go with two ounces of bullet. That's my class. That gives you, I mean, enough bullet bourbon in your system. And you're going to, you're going to, you're going to tell the bouncer, no, you need to calm down. But <laughs> just let's throw two ounces in the shaker. This movie is bleak, it is bitter, and it's unforgiving. The color palette is washed out. There is no vibrancy in this world. This is a gritty, dirty world, and it's uncaring as hell. So let's get something that's gritty, bitter, and dark. One shot of espresso. Throw that in. Now, there is an underlying brightness to the entire movie. There is like the main character, Rama, he has a family and he, every, and all the things that he does in, in the first movie, it's, it's briefly mentioned, but in the second movie, it's really hammered home. Everything he does is all for that light at the end of the tunnel. There's the underlying, I'm doing this for my family and literally no one else. I only care about my family. Mm -hmm. So let's add an underlying brightness to this bitterness that we've set up so far. Let's get three quarters of an ounce of dry curacao. Mm -hmm. You get that underlying orange beneath that bitterness that you get. Now, we have a bunch of characters that add a sort of breath of fresh air whenever they're on screen. You have characters like Joe Taslim, uh, who is uh, better known as Sub Zero in the in the uh, new Mortal Kombat movie, and, and he was also in uh, I think he played Mana I think his name was in Fast and Furious Six, mm -hmm. and then you also have some other people who pop up. You have some uh, Japanese actors who come in. So let's throw in some lemon juice, half an ounce. Now to round it all out. Let's put in quarter of an ounce of orange simple syrup. This isn't a sweet movie, but there isn't, it doesn't feel nihilistic. It doesn't feel like there's nothing sweet and everything's bad. It feels like there is still a humanness to everything that's done. Like no one's acting just nuts for being nuts. There's all a purpose to it. Mm -hmm. So that feels, that feels justified. Mm -hmm. Now, finally, take an orange peel garnish. Uh, express the oils and then just drop it in. And that's my drink. You know, it's funny because you and I actually both use a bullet, <laughs> which I find <laughs> yeah. funny because this movie, there is a lot of bullets in it. And I just it I is. think it's just that like, if you had to boil it down to like just an individual liquor, bullet, just bullet. That's, that is all you need. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Bullet bourbon. Yeah, that's it. 
That's it. Yeah, as for like everything else, I, I do agree with you. There is like a little bit of a little bit of that light in there. Maybe it's a little bit too bright for my taste, but you need like a maybe a little something with it. But I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. I like All right. it. Hell yeah. So for my drink, we've got Indonesian action movies. Now, when I was researching for inspiration, I came across an article on Travel and Leisure Asia that mentioned a cocktail <laughs> called the Kadek Manhattan. Let me just run through the ingredients for you. And I think this is, it's close, but we need to switch some things around. And, you know, then I'll say like why, why I think that this drink is a good fit for these movies. So the drink calls for 30 milliliters of bullet bourbon. And I'm actually going to change this. And I'm going to say, give me two ounces. I think that's about what it's at. So two ounces, because again, like I mentioned earlier, there is a lot of bullets in this movie. The action's great. I mean, what else can I say? We'll we'll get onto all this stuff and nerd out about it later in the podcast. Twenty five milliliters of Bren Bali Dewey Sri. I probably just fucking butchered that, <laughs> but it's a style of Indonesian rice wine. And given the fact that this is an Indonesian movie, what can I say? Toss in an ounce because we're not doing milliliters. We live in America. And the article also calls for about 10 milliliters of a Cockburn Tawny Port. But I'm going to say for these movies, let's skip out on that. And I'm going to say add in a half an ounce of Campari. Because just think of like how brutal these movies are. There aren't like any really silly moments in there. It's pretty bitter. And, you know, depending on which movie that you're watching, you can adjust your bullet and your Campari as needed. Like maybe for the first one, do the mixture that I mentioned, but maybe if you're watching the second one, maybe a little bit more on that Campari because we're giving it, we're getting into the world. There is still that action in there, but maybe just like, you know, even it out just a little bit, maybe still lean a little bit more on the bullet because let's face it. These movies really are uh, an exercise and what makes great action. And yeah, that that's my cocktail. Pretty simple, straight to the point, but you know, that's the way we like it here. I, you know what? I really do think that your drink is 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 benefited by its simplicity mm-hmm. because the movies, the move, like the original raid. I I actually feel like both of our cocktails play to each of the raid movies. Mm-hmm. Follow me on this. Yours is simple, straight to the point. There's bitterness. There's a little bit of there's a little bit of rice wine to add a little bit of brightness, you know, maybe a little something different. Mm-hmm. But there's also an underlying of just bullets. I feel like that's totally Raid 1 territory. It, mm-hmm. it fits Raid 2 as well. It's a fantastic cocktail, personally. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely Raid 1. And mine is just because there's like extra business. There's this going on and this mm-hmm. going on. It totally falls into the Raid 2 umbrella. Yeah, there you go. There we 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 planned that. Yeah, we planned that. Welcome, totally, audience. totally. You're welcome. <laughs> you're 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 welcome. We did do that. All right, guys. Well, go crack open your drink. Go enjoy a nice glass of bullet bourbon. We're not sponsored by them. And let's a, talk a full glass. Just a, a full, full glass. Just full cup. A full <laughs> cup. I want you to go out and get 64 ounce. Don't don't do that. Don't do that, please. <laughs> I want I want the bartender to look at you and say the phrase, are you serious? I actually have a story about something similar that happened to me, but I'm not going to tell that right now because, guys, let's dive headfirst into talking about the Raid Redemption and the Raid 2. So we mentioned a little bit earlier about the first Raid movie and how it begins. We get our main character just like doing like 
doing like pull-ups and punching something and having a nice tender moment with like his wife and we hear that his his future child is on the way. And I really like this opening because like we mentioned, it's a simple moment that allows you to get to know the character. They have like, you know, they have they have their moment. We kind of get a little bit. This is what their personality is. And we can be like, okay, I see what's going on with this person. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think what I really applaud the movie as well is that almost almost the way the whole thing is shot, it's almost like a very, like it's almost literally giving you like a peek mm-hmm. into his his life mm-hmm. as it currently is. Like the way the camera pans in as he's doing his prayer, as he's doing, it pans into, into him doing a pull-up, pans over the corner to him like leaning over his wife. Mm-hmm. Like it almost feels like you as the viewer are getting a sneak peek almost mm-hmm. into who he is. Exactly. Like, which like, I you're, think in the is room, really cool. like you're in the room with them. The room where it happened. This is the room. This is the well. This isn't the room where it happened. We're going to be going to the building where it happened. The ca- the camera van is Lin Manuel Miranda. Dude, that would just be just imagine like you know we just got like it's all like bloody action and it's just Lin Manuel Miranda behind the camera just doing jazz hands and dancing and stuff. I just, he's in full Alexander Hamilton gear, just with the camera, just beating like, a man to death with a fucking machete in the back. I just, I just, yeah, exactly. You just see Robert get shot in the thigh. And then Manuel Miranda's like, it's the rumor. If I told you never tell a soul what you saw. <laughs> so, and speaking of simplicity, no, we're not talking about Michael Flaherty. Uh, we're talking about our bad <gasps> guys. <here. laughs> we're talking you, you bitch. <laughs> we're talking about our bad guy of this movie. We don't get told that he's bad. We see it. We see like these three guys one eating and the other two are just kind of existing. Uh, the guy eating, he grabs a gun and just like puts a bullet in a bunch of in a bunch of hostages' heads, and then proceed he proceeds to kill four guys, but not the fifth one because the gun doesn't fire. And he's like, "Oh, what am what am I gonna do? I know." Hammer time. He goes get a hammer and then <laughs> beats the man over the head with it, and we're like, "Cool, got it." That, that's a, that's a bad guy. <laughs> so simple, so simple. It's not com. He's not comically evil, like he's setting, like he's setting an orphanage on fire. Like he's just, he he's he, he gets the point so clearly across. He's just shoots people and then just goes full hammer time on someone's on someone's brain, and you're like, cool, oh, yep, that's that's a bad dude. That is a bad dude. And it's just it, like I said, the some of the best movies they don't need to have all these like extraordinary like things or plot points about it sometimes the best thing to do especially i think when it comes to an action movie is just keep it simple you know why we're here to see some good action and then just deliver on that and then you're good to go absolutely i couldn't agree more so later on throughout the movie we get we like get some scenes of like the swat team like arriving and it's like we're setting it up they're stretching it out they're stretching out they go from the outside they sneak inside, but then the first actual bullet that is fired in this movie, it's not like the first five, it's not the first 10, it's at the 15 minute mark. And I really want to commend the movie with having a level of patience when it came to firing this first gunshot. And it doesn't just shoot just a random henchman, it shoots a kid 
alerting the rest of the guards in the uh, apartment like, hey, the SWAT team are here. Shit's about to go it's, down. And it's just nonstop <laughs> after this. It's 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 so fantastic. It's so fantastic. The movie, because it because it's a martial arts movie, you're obviously expecting it to be like super hardcore from the get go, mm-hmm. super fast and like super like high octane. And then also the movie up to this point with the crime, the big bad guy with him shooting a bunch of hostages and beating a man with a hammer. You're like, oh, so this is a gritty movie. I'm ready for it to go. And you're sort of raring to go. Mm-hmm. And the tenseness of the police getting into the facility, clearing out rooms, and then just they break the tension with shooting one of the residents who's alerting. And it's almost like the alarm bell gets rang mm-hmm. after as the gun fires. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Like it is the perfect way to just cut the tension and get to the action. Yeah. And our big bad guy, Tama, is just watching all of this happen. And he's like actually talking to them over like the PA, kind of like this just ambivalent evil force that the rest of the SWAT team, they don't see him yet, but they hear him. And I think that Mm -hmm. like portraying him like that makes it even more terrifying bad guy. Yes, that's a perfect way to set up your villain in this scenario is to not have them be this foot on the ground person, but to have them be this over like an um, he's literally um, um, what is it? I think it's omniscient, omnipotent, omniscient. all knowing and all it's powerful. it's an yeah. omno exactly it's he's essentially making they're essentially making him an omniscient and omnipotent force mm-hmm. in this building mm-hmm. which adds to the tenseness as well because it's like it's like uh david against goliath if you want a biblical reference mm-hmm. like it's great yeah and another thing that they do well with this is they set it up okay so these these swat team guys are in this apartment and the bad guys out in the car, the rest of the SWAT members out in their truck that they arrived in, they get taken out and they're like, okay, well now, now they don't have a way of escaping. So basically the only way that they're going to go is up to get to the big bad guy. Exactly. It's, it, it feels, it feels like a video game. It literally feels like a video game. Like they try and turn around and the door is closed and essentially they watch and see that the only way that they can get out of here is by winning. Mm-hmm. So and it's literally a freaking tower. It's like it is a literal tower of power. Mm-hmm. It's they have to literally go all the way up to the top to get all the way to the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. The way the environment sets itself up as well as the I guess the plot as they like take away the car. Yeah, and the action having it all take place inside one building that was actually to save on money because the director, uh, Gareth Edwards, he wanted this movie to actually take place inside of a prison, but he couldn't afford it. But when this movie started making money, he sure as hell got his fucking uh, prison in the sequel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. He, he I, You could obviously tell that, that he was fulfilling a dream with the with the raid too, with the budget that it got, because, yeah. It's my god, I I can't wait to get to the raid too. My god, that prison scene's it's nuts. It's so amazing. But we're not we're not quite there yet. Is there any particular action scene in the first raid that you want to like focus in on, Mike? I think there are two action scenes that I really want to make sure we touch on. Mm-hmm. 
the action scene between Rama and the and the the guy the machete guy and his little team, mm-hmm. as well as the fight between uh, Mad Dog and Rama and spoiler alert his brother Andy yeah yeah Andy mm-hmm. I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that one I I want to talk about that one but first Mike let's talk about that hallway scene one yeah. one thing I want to say about these action scenes in the hallway with the machete guy especially is that like they're shot in a way where it like it feels so tight and like you feel so closed in by the hallway, but it's also so wide. So because you mm-hmm. can like keep track of everything like they do, do such a good job of just balancing those two. It's amazing. What I what I also love, and this is props to Gareth Evans, because he had the opportunity to make this mistake in the raid two, and he didn't. So I have huge props to him personally for that. But in the raid one, what I like about this hallway scene specifically and also the one we're going to talk about next is they, they, they he managed to get around the the problem that all a lot of martial arts movies fall into, which is if you have people, if you're going to have a fight on screen or a martial arts combat scene between your main character and and, and include someone other than their single opponent. Mm-hmm. They need to be doing stuff because if you're someone who tunes into martial arts movies or has watched a martial arts scene in a movie, you can see that the background characters focus on the background characters. The next time you're watching an action movie, you're going to see the belts and pretend to look busy. The forever it's kind stumble. of like, yeah, exactly. They're forever stumbling and forever like have their arms out like they're ready to box in someone in basketball. It's It looks so silly. It looks so silly. And as someone who lives and breathes like kung fu martial arts movies, like that stuff eats at me. So seeing Garrett Evans manage to break that and just have everyone, and I mean everyone, is rolling around, getting thrown against a wall, getting stabbed. Mm-hmm. Like it's... Like, there is not a single person on, at a given frame that is not in the middle of doing something, it is, which is amazing. It is very tight choreography. And especially I like yeah. the way that they play with, like, their with their environment. So there's one uh, shot where Rama, like, can't open a door. And he, like, has to like, go up against these, like, four guys with a machete. Then one time he, like, someone breaks, like, I don't know if this is Rama or Jaka, like, breaks the wall and then takes the dude's face and then like jumps back he and just tries. stabs him in the throat with a broken door that is on the ground. It's so cool. He literally, he literally, it's like a WWE move. He literally grabs his face and jumps backwards. And he literally, he's using the environment to his advantage, mm-hmm. which is another set of props. Mm-hmm. It's, he's literally, the way I like to see it is, is, the way the movie sets up this fight is Rama is super stacked again. The, the odds are ultra stacked against mm-hmm. him. The other fight scenes, it feels like at some point in time, he's got the leg up in some capacity. Or you can logically go, oh, he's he can do it. Up until this point, Rama has had assistance in every fight. This is the first one-on-one solo fight that he's got no help on. He is on his own. So you're like, oh, shoot. And all of them have machetes and all of that. So seeing him not only 
have tight choreography, but also not only use the environment to his advantage, but also like follow through with a subsequent environmental use. Like not only throwing the guy through the door, but bringing the guy's head through on the broken part of the door. Mm -hmm. It's just so good to see that logical sort of next step in a fight. And it blows. I'm so, I'm just sitting here like, how did they get some of these shots? Cause I know it's so it's like, especially in like such a tight space, it's very difficult to get like these very nice wide, but close shots. Like, do they like, were they shooting it like on a set somewhere or do they like actually go to a building? I know my ass can't afford to build a set. So that's just what I was thinking. Oh yeah. No, there, I absolutely believe that they just went to a, went to a building and like, I think like Jakarta or something like that. There's no, I find it very hard to believe that he's like, yeah, let's build, let's build two or three floors. <laughs> like I, I, it's, but either way, either way, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is just great. And let's talk about that next fight scene between mm-hmm. Matt, first of all, Mad Dog props to this martial art. What's his name? I want I want to say his name while we're recording because he he deserved he deserves that. Uh Yayan Ruyen. I uh, on second thought, I probably I probably shouldn't have said that because I probably just it's butchered. It, you got a heart. You got a lot of heart in it when you said I, it. I tried. I, I, said, I said it with conviction. <laughs> exactly. So this fight scene. So the way that this one's set up is again. Spoiler alert. Andy is revealed to be the brother of our main character Rama. That's actually set up like at the beginning. So it's kind of like a nice little you know connection there like oh so rama actually has a reason to stay here and you know get his brother back mm-hmm. so rama sees that mad dog is beating the shit out of andy and he goes to like fight mad dog and this whole movie we've had like what two or three fight scenes with mad dog solely in it and we get yes that, oh this man this is a bad dude like he's killed but he's killed a bunch of the swat guys just with his bare hands he is a man not to be trifled with he, he's taken on a bunch of people so what a two-on-one fight is gonna be gonna be nothing he literally called when so at, at a certain point in the movie Tama, the big the big bad guy at the top, he calls Andy, who's essentially the brains of Tama's operation, and Mad Dog, who's the bronze of Tama's operation. He goes, get them. Bring them back. Bring back something. I need something. So Tama, because he obviously now knows that his freaking brother is f- fighting for his life, he goes, well, all right. Well, now I got to figure out what to do now. Mm-hmm. And then Mad Dog doesn't care. So what you see is, Andy, like the way that Mad Dog fights is and talks about the people is so much different than Andy's because Andy goes, oh, did you find them? I didn't find anyone. I was stuck. I fought. I lost. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. The way Mad Dog goes, he goes, where are your Andy goes, hey, Mad Dog, where are your men as of right now? He goes, they're still hunting. Like, it's so good. The, the small phrases is they almost you unconsciously go, oh, this guy's just depraved. Mm-hmm. Like this guy doesn't even consider it like, like fighting or like attacking a human. He's just no, it's just just a regular old. I mean, hunt. He is a mad dog. Like it, it just makes sense. <laughs> it oh. just makes sense. It just makes sense. But yeah, this so this fight scene between Andy and Rom again. It's just so well choreographed, so well put together, and it's just like in this 
dilap just decrepit room with underscored by a crunchy thick soundtrack like it's mm-hmm. like we get we get stuff with hanging fluorescent light bulbs getting choked out when Andy comes in and then like Brett grabs a piece of the broken light and then stabs Mad Dog in the neck to end the fight. And there's just like this interesting interplay between like these two characters versus one like they're able to like work together to defeat this guy. And that's something that this movie does really well is taking these fight scenes and do them in like interesting ways like the way like the ways haven't been done like they've been done before but this the way that this movie approaches it it's just chef's kiss it is it is and i want to give hats off to to actually to mad dog Mm -hmm. mad dog's actor uh that guy is and uh, you can correct me if i'm wrong but he is the fight choreographer Mm -hmm. for the raid and raid 2 as well as a bunch of southeast asian martial arts movies he's like Apparently, he is a big-time fight choreographer, and he loves to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's He is... The guy is incredible. Like, like, uh, Rama, the main guy, uh, his actor, Iko Elias, is fantastic. The dude knows exactly what he's doing for martial arts. Mm -hmm. But it is... It's like the difference between seeing Ronaldo play versus, like... I, I don't know a German soccer player, but let's go messy. Let's go messy. Mm-hmm. Let's go messy. It's like seeing someone who's super skilled and reached the absolute apex of how you should play the sport mm-hmm. versus someone who almost turns it into art. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know which one is which between Messi and Ronaldo, and I'm not going to freaking touch that. <laughs> it's You're going to do with that freaking analogy what you will. But it's just... You see all the other guys who are who've absolutely nailed down their skill. Mm-hmm. And then you just see this guy who's turned it into an art mm-hmm. because the way he moves is so fluid in terms of fight choreography. It's astounding. And he's quick too. He is so fast. He's fast. Mm-hmm. He's so fast. Yeah, but, and it also hats off to his acting because as well because he's able to convey this presence of even though he is he is a he is a short guy. I think I think I looked it up. He's, he's like he's, he's a short king. Dude, he he is the definition of a short king. <laughs> dude's like dude's like 5'2 and could kill me and Mike in an instant. <laughs> He could, he would beat the bricks off of Hard Scott. Dude, he would beat the bricks. Dude, I, wanna, I wanna see this man interrupt the dude. Wait, no, remember he was he was he was an after everything, right? Remember he he came running. Yeah, exactly. He was yeah, like, on a flying sidekicked Harden and then I don't know, wheel kicked the wheel kicked uh Vance and whoever I don't know, it's, it's, it's because it's been a little bit uh, i just i'm just thinking of i'm just now thinking of the absolute craziest wedding and after everything it's just tesla sitting there chugging a steve weiser just as like the stone cold theme song comes out as Harden is just getting hard and advanced are getting wheel kicks by the dude from from the raid dude also dude speak dude Group fight scenes. We missed a big one with the three, with like the the lieutenant and like two other SWAT guys see, uh, fight in a mm-hmm. drugs lab, and we get an action scene in yes. there too. How the fuck did we almost forget about that one? It's lest we forget. That is amazing. That's a that's a crazy fight scene, and it's also a cool progression. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like almost a it's and and it's obviously not, but it's but it's it almost feels like a one shot take. Mm-hmm. 
of of an entire fight scene. It literally looks like a like a world star hip hop live leak video, but if it was professionally like lit mm-hmm. and and like had a good camera behind it. Yeah, and I mean with this fight scene, guys, we get like the lieutenant who's like this older boomer type just slamming a dude's head into some, into some chemicals and then hitting a 30 something with a chair dude's getting like thrown into filing cabinets getting stabbed in the neck getting wing chunned in the face we get throwing knives filing cabinets dropped on them like this is a like in terms of spectacle this is probably the biggest action scene in the movie my my favorite still would be the fight scene between uh, Rama and Andy versus Mad Dog but this one in terms of like how much shit is going on in it deserves its own props yes absolutely absolutely yeah no that is a fantastic fight scene it's i still my top two are still rama and andy versus mad dog and then rama versus the machete team like machete it's danny trejo (laughs) (laughs) it's oh my god you just see it's just the dude in the the dude that wears like the hoodie just pulls out just like grabs his chin and pulls it off and it's danny trejo (laughs) so mike before we get to the ending was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we get to talk about like getting back to talking about the plot essentially i think pat i think in terms and there's nothing in terms of fight scenes i think just that the movie the movie also is able to rebuild tension mm-hmm. really, really well. Like all of its, all of its like 15 minute sort of rest period scenes all do a great job of allowing you to recover from the fight scene and process it mm-hmm. while also keeping you really tense the entire time. And I'm actually glad you brought up uh, tension. There was a, there was a, one more thing I wanted to cover with this and you mentioned tension. And I remembered what it is, is the scene in which Rama and one of the other SWAT guys, I, I can't remember his name are trapped behind this fake wall and the gangs and the gangsters come in to talk to just, just a random resident that's just trying to live there and get through the day. And it's like, Hey, where the hell are they? And the resident knows because he brought him in and eventually he was hesitant, but he was like, go hide behind the fake wall. And these guys with their machetes go over to the wall and start stabbing it in. And you're thinking, oh, fuck, like, are, are they are they going to stab Rama? Are they going to get him? They actually cut him. They are so close to just stabbing Rama in the head, but he's able to like get out of it and is able to like wipe the blood off of it. And I know that scene has been, again, been done before in horror, but the way that like they take their time with it and the stakes that this movie is already set up in the beginning, it it just takes this scene that has been done before and makes it chef's kiss. It is. It is a fantastic way mm-hmm. to like build tension before a fight because that immediately precedes Rama fighting them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And it, it's... <clears throat> Not only from a plot perspective, but also from a tension perspective, it really just builds everything up Mm -hmm. for you to just sort of be really on your toes about these guys. Mm -hmm. So wrapping up with the raid, let's let's talk a little bit about like some plot stuff that happens. Um, The the big bad guy Tama, I know Tama and Rama. I mean, I got those names (laughs) confused. I I at least once put down Tama instead of Rama, or Rama instead of Tama. Come on, movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) so it's revealed that like the lieutenant was actually a corrupt police officer and as the as um the lieutenant gets up to the top and is able to take tama down and is like they're monologuing back and forth and they're they're mentioning names of like other corrupt 
people involved in the police force, which actually pisses off the lieutenant so much that he shoots the guy, that he shoots Tama. And uh, Rama and Andy see this happen, and they're like, well, fuck, like, now we got to arrest the lieutenant. So this movie ends with the Rama arresting the lieutenant and taking him out with uh, Andy. And, you know, they have one last goodbye and they go their separate ways. An uh-huh. interesting way that they added this in to set up for a sequel. It's well, it's all what's also great about it is they're setting up for a sequel without doing the freaking Mac and me catch us next time gamer. Mm-hmm. Like when they, it, instead of having it be this self self-important or self con me, not self-important, but self-confident sort of pointing out to the stands going catch us next time. It's more like, Hey, we're just setting things up. It's kind of like setting the table without putting the food down. You're kind of, they're kind of going, hey, hey, what's it's there. It's there. It's ready if need be. It's you know what? We could we could just pick it up and not do anything with it. Or, you know, we could keep going. And Mike, lastly, before we before we uh get to the question of where you would place this in your drinking marathon, you're the music guy. I have to ask you, what did you think of this soundtrack? Love the soundtrack. Mm. Love the soundtrack. I think with with martial arts movies, a really interesting musical genre pairing is 90s to 2000s t- style like techno. Like hard like hard hard style techno. Not like not like not this like Mortal like, Kombat. You, not Euro dance, <laughs> Mortal Kombat-y stuff, but uh, something that's a little grittier and a little more, I guess, more akin to what they played in the in the first first scene in Blade. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great pairing. Mm-hmm. It's heart pumping. It it you can have the BPM of the song sort of artificially line up with what you want the BPM of your character to be. It's it really fits. And if you're gonna have a desaturated, gritty environment, having this very like minimalist, like sort of grimy sounding soundtrack to match is really good. It really fits. There's nothing orchestral about it, much like there's nothing, there's no fanfare about the building. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no real artificial out side influences to sort of try and play pretend that this is intense. The the scene is just flat out intense. Much like with the techno, there's no outside influences or outside business to like hype it up or change it anyway. It's just a hard beat that's that's 180. Yeah, the word I kept coming back to was crunchy. And like I fucking love it. Like it I don't is. I don't I feel even weird calling this like a soundtrack because when you think of like soundtrack you think like music. For me, this was ambience. Like it was so, it was just so creative with the way that they approached this soundtrack and with the way that they approached mm-hmm. this movie. So wrapping up here, Mike, yeah. if you had to put, if you had to put the raid in your movie drinking marathon, where would you put it? I have my answer ready. I'm gonna say movie number one. It's uh, so I agree with you. I agree with you. This is movie number one. Now my my ever continuous like caveat for these good movies is or these movies with good sequels is if you're doing the raid and going to do the raid to after you absolutely must put this at like movie zero like this has to be 
you're set things are still getting set up you're kind of doing like oh cool blah 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 and you're talking and warming up and you're enjoying the action because the story the story's fast it is blink and you'll miss it but it is also with the raid it's kind of forgiving the raid 2 is forgiving if you don't have a full grasp mm-hmm. on the original part of the story mm-hmm. You get it. You like, cause there's, yeah, there's you enough can, of a plot yeah. in the first one to lead yeah, you into the it, second yeah. one. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. I would, I would absolutely, if you're just this, the raid standalone movie one, mm. easy movie one, you're getting yourself hyped up. You're getting ready. Then you do, then you do a, uh, uh, never back down second, then mortal Kombat third. Mm. Like that's perfect. Hey, no retreat, no surrender. Where the fuck is that? That's when you're blacked out, baby. That's when you're raid too. That's I want RJ to fight Rava. It's just RJ getting brutalized. Now let's go right into talking about the raid two. The where we got to start naturally is the beginning. The way this movie begins, where cars drive up on a man burying something in the road, and people get out and they drop a hostage in front. And we see this guy just standing there like all menacingly. And it's revealed that Randy is that, no, sorry, not Randy. Andy is the hostage and the head of this group, Bejo monologues. And then we fucking smash cut to the title card, the raid two. And yeah, Andy fucking dies. An interesting way to start, but I am, I will say this. You are immediately curious with this one because you don't have that crutch of it, it takes place entirely in one building that the first one does. The filmmakers, did, like I said, did a great job of building up the world that was in an apartment building that really makes you want to come back to this world and see what else is out there. And this first scene does that in spades. It gets you intrigued. It, it does. It does. Because the first time I saw, I, I after this opening scene, I literally, my first question was, holy shit, what? Mm-hmm. Like it was literally they they killed off Andy like that like they just they just kill off Andy and you you're like oh my god he was an integral character you just aced him in the first five minutes no okay safe. yeah exactly you're like okay shit I guess no one's I guess no one's safe so shit I gotta see what's going on here and then the introduction of this overarching sort of nemesis character is just great. It's just a good intro. It's just a good freaking intro. And then the scene after this one, we get uh, Rama and Bao and uh, Boa, one of the SWAT guys, meeting with Lieutenant Waihu, like immediately after the last film. And the lieutenant also, the lieutenant fucking gets shot too. He dies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this kind of set, this kind of now shows like, hey, anybody could fucking die here. We get the crooked cop stories. We find out like, hey, Rama, he's going to have to go undercover to figure out, you know, who these people are that are coming after him and his family. And it the crime plot works in this movie. It does. It does. It really see with the raid. You would have thought that they had sort of pigeonholed themselves into, oh, no, they're coming for you, Rama. You got to get on the run or some crap like that. Like. Now it's the people who like had Tama report to him, who Tama reported to or after mm-hmm. him. And he just has to go on the run and fight and do blah, 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 or move on to his next cop adventure 
Like you could, that would have been too easy. That would have been the cop out. Them looping in this crime thing of if you want to, if you want to put a stop to this, you have to like, you have to go to the source, mm-hmm. and that means going undercover. That's such a great segue into introducing you to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's and like I said, it's interesting, which is the most important thing I think that like a movie <laughs> needs to have is just have interesting people that you would want to see either succeed or know more about. Mm-hmm, exactly. You want to know more. That's, uh, you know what? I wouldn't have initially thought that that, I mean, I, I, obviously the interesting characters, obviously like that's a pretty much a given with movies, mm-hmm. but wouldn't have thought that that's something we need to harp on. But after this podcast, yes. Listen, after covering, I don't know what fucking episode we're on now, but after covering that many bad movies, we like the the nice, simple things of like, hey, this character is interesting. Hey, this action scene was pretty fun, right? Hey, that was a pretty tense moment there. Do you give a shit about our characters? Well, that's all we need from you, champ. We're proud of you. Exactly. 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 I I literally could not agree more. Could not agree more. So yeah, we get another some more little moments between Rama and his family before he has to go into fucking prison. And we get a scene in like, you know, prison fight scene. But I think my favorite one is okay. Well, first of all, first of all, let me back up. They set up this guy, Uko, that he that Rama needs to start getting close to. He needs to, you know weave his way into this crime family and they have Rama uh, take a pseudonym. I can't remember what it is. And he tries to, you know, get involved with him and they, they become a little bit closer. Then we come outside to this prison park area where we get signals thrown between inmates and Rama picks up on this, loosens the broom handle that he's holding. And these guys come up with a shiv and a fight breaks out. Mike, you you said you wanted to talk about this prison fight scene. What do you, what I, do you have to say? Oh my god! This is the fight scene that Gareth Evans wanted in the raid one, mm-hmm. and it shows. It's like it feels like a freaking release. It is. It literally turns into a brawl. And again, like I said earlier in the raid one, where. He does a magnificent job, not only Gareth Evans, but I guess also the fight choreographer. They do a great job of making sure that no one is doing the freaking idle stance Mm -hmm. like they're in a video game. Because in this scene, everyone is in a full on fist Mm -hmm. fight and the camera pans to different fist fights and all of them are technical and coordinated and it's and it's dirty you see more people come more cops come f- not cops prison guards come flooding in to like control these people who are fighting and it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger into a brawl and you just see people snapping necks it literally is just it's like if you as a kid if you are like turning on a valve or i guess if you're turning on a valve and you just tur- keep turning it and loosening and loosening the valve till it's almost a f- like a fire hose level of pressure. Mm-hmm. That's what this feels like. It feels like it's just a fire hose of just action and fights and grittiness. And it's just so nice because the it feels like the movie is paying you for waiting. Mm-hmm. The movie, is, because there have been little like nuggets where you'll see 
Rama like for like two seconds, just fight so fight someone, or and then it flashes back to him doing something else. But this is the first real honest to God payoff yeah. where it's just fist fighting yeah, It's fist fighting. And plus it's outside in the rain, in the mud. Like we had a little bit of a fight scene earlier in the movie, but like you mentioned, this one feels like the biggest, like, Hey world, here we are. Here's a bunch of people fighting. I don't think this is the director's favorite fight scene. Cause I think I saw somewhere where he said the kitchen fight scene that is at like near the end of the movie. Oh, like he says like that one is that's like <laughs> that's, his more favorite but i think this one should I, definitely be like in that conversation of like top three in the race it's it's absolutely absolutely this is actually top three conversation mm-hmm. absolutely it's that kitchen fight scene though yes the fight the fight scenes at the very end like it's i'm so i'm so looking forward to talking about those scenes you have no idea but i i want to get through some i want to get through some other stuff set kind of set it up a little bit and then we can just nerd out about those fight scenes so yeah this one this fight scene rama is able to protect uko and you know he saves his life so then we cut two years later and we get a little bit of like that mob plot movie here where Rama goes to meet Uko's family and we get the introduction of Mr. Goto, like people involved with the Japanese mob. Mm-hmm. This was, again, this was interesting. I wanted to see what was going on. Interesting in the same way, like when you're you're sitting around with a bunch of like, uh, what, what am I, when you're sitting around like with a bunch of like business people and they're talking like about what's going on, like eventually like you'll, you become interested and you begin to pick up on the things that they're saying like after a while. <laughs> same thing here with like the mob plot. Exactly, exactly. You feel, I, I like the way, I like the, the analogy with the business mm-hmm. people. I think that's a really good way of phrasing it. It's like you're in a conversation with people who are two or three steps above in terms of knowledge on a certain subject. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, still, you're still there. You have a vague idea of what they're talking about, but you're just sitting there trying to... You're interested and you want to hear more of what they have to say. You want to hear their insights and everything because they're filling in details that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And and that's just, and them introducing like the Japanese mob, introducing like this new Indonesian crime family that, that Rama needs to, needs to buddy up with introducing that is a great way to not only sort of give you that sort of slow release into the world, but also move the plot along in a really cool way. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned like being interested because we've seen time and time again on this podcast where we have been introduced characters and they're like, here's this person. Isn't that cool? Do you, you know, <laughs> Dave from the store? <laughs> exactly. you, you, you remember Dave, right? <laughs> that's yeah. That's I love. I yeah. Keep going. But, keep going. But here, it's like hey, we get introduced like these characters, and because the world has been set up so well, and the acting as well is so well done, you immediately become interested. It's not just you know poor performance, poor screenwriting. It's not just one thing. It's all of these things that this movie has balanced to make it interesting. It's the good story. It's the good pacing. It's the well-written characters and them having their own little moments. 
And then you just become fascinated with this world. And if you and if you are like, hey, here's Dave in the raid, you'd be like, okay, what what's going on with them? What, what's let me hear about Dave? What's Dave doing? What's he doing here? And again, back to the world. The kind of there are parts throughout this movie where we get Rama encountering people in this crime underworld. We get him going to get money from like some seedy porn production people going with Uko, who's being a fucking psychopath to sing karaoke with prostitutes and the introduction of Indonesian machete. <laughs> Mike, you know, who I'm t- do you know who I'm talking about? I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead? Well, I want to, well, I want to ask you first, Mike, what did you think of Indonesian machete? <laughs> So, you know when, you know when you make a dish that's so good, you want to have it two days in a row, mm. but you, but, but the, but you want to see if you can put it into a different kind of flavor or a different kind of dish. Like you got a killer steak mm-hmm. and it was a great steak dinner, but you didn't finish it. So you're like, Ooh, can I make like, can I make a sort of like a Hispanic tacos flair going on. Mm-hmm. That's what they felt with mad dog. Mm-hmm. The man. Oh my God. He was so good in the first one. Gareth Evans was like, you son of a bitch. We're going to work you in. I don't care how I don't know. I don't care if people go, wait, that guy looks familiar. Isn't he from the first one? I don't care. He goes, we're working you in. And his character is literally. As Max said, Homeless machete. Yeah. Because he he walks around. He looks he's he looks bedraggled. I guess I don't, he, looks, he looks he looks homeless. Yes, exactly. It's and he's walk and he is a hitman. He's a hitman in this movie. And his acts action scenes rival they they're literally in terms of activeness, in terms of him doing things. He's do he's right there with Rama in the first movie mm-hmm. because Rama in this movie he's he's more standing and fighting and doing like obviously he's doing other stuff but it feels like in terms of activeness from a single set mm-hmm. perspective like from one area where they're fighting his action scene is the most is the most eventful one yeah i think like when i was thinking back to this movie i really thought of like this character and this action scene and the finale. So this fight mm-hmm. scene with uh Prakoso, the guy's that's the guy's name. And he's in this like EDM club. And I think they literally just brought him back because they're like, hey, listen, we want to have you do this like fight scene inside an EDM club. No, you're no, you're not John Wick. And you're just gonna be just flipping furniture, tossing dudes on the ground, throwing beer bottles at them. It's <laughs> so so amazing and then it's it really is like like you said it feels it feels like there's no wasted movement between him or any of the people that are coming in and trying to trying to take him down yeah exactly i i couldn't agree more it's and in terms of utilizing the environment like he like in the uh, in the first movie which we gave props to when he was Rama was fighting the machete people his use of the environment in the nightclub scene is freaking second to none. He's he's 
you what you can see is bait he and I'm trying to formulate my words here. He's fighting based on how his emotions are dictating him based on the plot. Mm-hmm. If you if you follow me. So based on the plot at this point, Precoso, the you know, homeless guy, mad dog's character, mm-hmm. he realizes he's screwed. He kind of got ambushed. And he has nothing. He's been cu- essentially caught with his pants down. Mm-hmm. So you, the way he utilizes the environment, you almost are able to piece, you're almost able to f- sort of see the desperation with how he fights. Mm-hmm. Because what you'll see is he'll dive over into the main stage, break a few necks, run up to the, run up to the bar scene, just hand, manhandle a bunch of bottles and start throwing them frantically. You see him see one of the bartenders come running out trying to get him and he just head slams him and he will parkour away. It's just the way that fight scene happens is so technical, but you can see the emotion of the character the entire, the entire time. Exactly. It's not just, Hey, here's some flippy dippy action scene shit. No, we give a shit about the, we can see their fear through their actions. I think that's something that Mm -hmm. a lot of people who want to get into action, like fight choreography should learn and should try to excel at not just the fight stuff, but also the acting big. Like, I think it's a crime that Yayan Ruin again, probably just butchered the guy's name. (laughs) isn't talked about more over in the West. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I genuinely think he needs to have a freaking moment in the sun mm-hmm. the way Iko Uwais and Joe Taslim have had. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's mostly been the Iko Uwais who's had his time in the sun because he is doing stuff like the Wu Assassins mm-hmm. on Netflix, which, I mean, I haven't seen it. And I have, uh, I've heard iffy things about it, but he's having Western media stuff. And he's Joe Taslim... Yeah, exactly. And Joe Taslim is, he's in freaking Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. so he's doing okay. So I really think Yayan Ruin needs to come to the West and do, a, and, and do he needs to at least do freaking choreography. Call me, he, uh, please. Call me. I, listen, I'll, please. I'll let you throw me around for like, I don't know, five minutes. <laughs> we'll, put, we'll put that in somewhere. I, I don't know. If you if, if you speak English or if you are having someone translate this for you, buddy, we will go to Indonesia. We will absolutely film a scene where you just toss two white guys out of a window. We're down. We're, we're game. Listen, I don't know how to fall. I don't know how to tuck my chin, spread out, spread out my body weight. I, I, I can do this. I swear. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so... Getting back to the mob plot, uh, before this uh, scene with uh, Procoso, we do get a little bit of like Rama doing some detective work, listening in on a conversation between Beiju and Uko and a gaggle of hostages. There's like some mob stuff going through here. Was it, what do you, what did, this is like really where we saw the first bit of what Beiju is, Beijo is capable of, Mike. What did you think of his character? I loved the introduction of Bejo's character as well as the introduction of the, I guess the best way to call him is the old guard mm-hmm. of the mobsters mm-hmm. in this movie. So you have Uko's father who runs the Indonesian mob. You have Goto who runs the Japanese mob. And then you also have the others. Beijo, and then you also have the others. Uh, it's 
you have these characters who obviously are not meant to be involved in martial arts in any way. And they add such an, a good depth to the whole show. But what's also really nice is they bring in, not only do they have these old guard mobsters to be like, oh yeah, you know, this world's lived in, blah, blah, blah. You also have Bejo's character to serve as conflict, mm -hmm. which is even better. Because you have essentially not only that sort of hierarchical sort of mafia stuff, mm -hmm. but you also have this sort of new hotness coming in trying to depose and he's got his own sliminess and he doesn't, he doesn't fight. He is, he, he's conniving. And I'm glad, and I'm glad you mentioned that because Bejo is so threatening. Like, first of all, he walks with a cane and is not proven to be a legitimate fighter. But just with his presence alone and his power and control over other people, we, the audience, view him as an even more terrifying pre presence than any than like Mad Dog was in the last movie. Like Mad Dog, mm -hmm. he will like he could break you, but Bejo could kill you and your family. And I think that's what makes him an even more terrifying villain than anyone in the last movie. I think I think that's. I, I really like that you used that you how you phrased it and also that you use the term control because I think that's how that's what sets him differently because you have characters that are just angry forces of nature and those are totally fine great villains blah 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 but what sets Bejo apart is Bejo doesn't you don't know you've lost until it's way too late and things are falling apart around you. Until if Bejo is in charge. Bejo's entire force is, he, he runs off of fear and his appearance is threatening, but it's not, but it, it feels like every conversation with him is, is like a fight mm -hmm. in and of itself because his conversations are all, there's an angle to every sentence he makes mm -hmm. everything he says every movement he makes is so so chess like that it's that it's so great and so fear inducing because the movie up to this point has just given you like badasses mm -hmm. and having someone who totally breaks the mold and can physical, rip these people to shreds is yeah, physical badasses. And having someone who totally tackles the badassery from a different perspective is so crazy. Mm -hmm. It's so nice. And speaking of Beiju, let's talk about his henchmen. Let us talk about oh, baseball, yeah. baseball bat guy and hammer girl. First of all. Oh, yes. I love that that's the like people are just calling them that. Just like this is yeah. this is uh, what are we going to call this person? Well, he carries around a baseball bat. All right, that's all we needed to know. That's what we're going to call him. He's baseball Batman. <laughs> they are so identifiable, like, and even come, like, with their weapons. I loved, like, these characters because, I don't know, there was just something a little bit different about them versus, like, the last, uh, in the last movie where we had all these guys wielding machetes. Their, their approach was just different. They didn't have, like, the guy had a baseball bat and he was an assassin. This girl had two hammers and would like, you know, break your fucking skull. I really like these. And Mike, I have one question for you. 
which character are you cosplaying as next year? I'd you know what if you're going as baseball Batman I'll go as Hammer Girl I'll go in the full I'll go in the full big glasses in the dress Let's fucking do it it's good. You, you heard it here first <laughs> Michael Flaherty's gonna wear a dress soon absolutely you know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be so I'm gonna be third legging the entire time <laughs> just a Donald Duckin guy at Comic Con just ready to go Listen, it's not gonna be his first time. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. It's the cops pulled me out of San Diego Comic Con, so that's why I'm going to New York this time. Well, let's, let's, I want to talk about these fight scenes between the like we get Hammer Girl or yeah Hammer Girl's fight scene, baseball bat guy's fight scene, then another henchman's. He's off doing his own thing. We get Hammer Girl riding a train and pulling out a picture on her phone, and she sees a guy on a train that she's going to use two hammers in a crowded train to just beat the shit out of. And then at, at a, uh, separately, baseball bat guy, he's going after some people and is straight up murking people with his base with a bat and a fucking actual baseball. So like throw it up and hit it and just fucking beam it in someone's head. I'm like, dude, this man could have gone D1. I like that's exactly what my first thought was. I was looking at this guy who just lobbed a baseball popped it and nailed a dude in the head and i i was literally thinking to myself dude you could be playing for the freaking dodgers man what are you on oh my lord like it's it's memeable sure i'm like i kind of laugh at it but i'm like you know what sure why not it's a little bit sillier than the things that we've seen in this movie but i'm kind of like sure i'll go with you i think I think I think he serves as a great contrast though mm-hmm. to Hammer Girl because it feels like Hammer Girl's is way more intense mm-hmm. from a violence perspective mm-hmm. than the than the rest but but not by a lot but just by like a little bit because she pulls out two hammers and she is caving people's skulls mm-hmm. in. It's not like she's giving a little whack and they all go, oh, no, I died. And they just like fall side. over. She's using the sharp she side. Uses, she uses the other side oh, yeah. and she just swings for the fences. So I almost think it's kind of great that you have Mr. Actually Swings for the Fences as like a little like dichotomy. <laughs> so now let's go back to Uko's dad. He's beating the shit out of Uko and Uko is plan is to bring the mob to the ground and he snaps saying like, I'm ashamed of you, dad. And, you know, you apologize to people. He's tired of sitting back and waiting and doing nothing. And he, dad's like, you know what? Sure, whatever. Let's figure this out. But then Bejo comes in and he's like, oh, this isn't fucking good. Uko apologizes and then shoots his dad while Bejo watches. And then Rama comes in and tries to like, you know, kick ass is like, what the fuck is going on here? And tries to kick ass and he's able to get subdued, which is very shocking because like in the last movie, we haven't really seen, we've seen Rama get beat up, but we haven't seen him get beat yet, mm-hmm. which was very, I was like, okay, it's, what's happening? It's kind of nice. Cause it's also foreshadowing fat foreshadowing for like one of the best fights in the series. God. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's 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 really nice to watch and i think that also humanizes him because you have him from a sensitivity perspective humanizing for like caring about his family a lot and really going like no i'm only doing this for like my wife and kid and then freaking 180ing and then also getting his ass kicked yeah. 
it's, it brings it down instead of he's this invincible badass who through plot armor succeeds and no he gets his ass kicked he he loses yeah and this also leads into a another again a very unique thing that this movie does we get a car combat fight scene on the road where like Rama's mm-hmm. handcuffed and is trying to fight people in his car but then like his buddy Eka who I guess who was like helping him out behind the scenes he's in another car trying to do car foo against other vehicles making like one collide into a concrete barrier and there was a very popular clip going around a few years ago of this particular scene where we get the car like the cameras going back and forth between cars like we're in one car we come out we physically move the camera into the other car and gets like passed through like again amazing practical action scenes Mm -hmm. my hats off to everybody behind the scenes you know for making this happen you know i i remember when hey i wanted to do something in a car in production three back in college they didn't want me to do that because it was dangerous but they can just do it here perfectly fine exactly it's hey hey there there are fewer laws in indonesia that prevent you from that they go hell yeah dog go do that listen man i had a rope tied around my waist i was sitting on the back of a car holding a camera i was like i got this we're fine it's fine everything's fine You're like it's all good it's all good and yeah so that so that scene ends it's again something we wouldn't have seen in the last movie and then we get to the warehouse and this just whole ending it's phenomenal because we get you know a big fight scene with a bunch of people in the in the first part of it and we get uh we cut like back to uko and bejo doing like some mob talk like uko's now getting pissed at bejo because maybe he was involved with a gang and then rama is just kicking ass throughout this entire thing when we get a fight scene between both baseball bat guy and a hammer girl kind of flipping the script a little bit between the last movie because in the last movie it was Rama and Andy versus uh, Mad Dog. But in this one, Rama finds himself against his own two-on-one handicap match. Yeah, exactly. And it's and, and it's with the two most unique freaking characters. Like, it's, it's so... Th- this scene, I feel like in a certain way, it almost choreographing wise it almost feels like a callback back to the original raid Mm -hmm. movie because it's those tight corridors again it's the people it's the two-on-one the odds are stacked against him sort of match uh they all have weapons he's completely unarmed it really is kind of a cool and i don't know if this is unintentional if i'm just going full film bro just going too deep Mm -hmm. but it really is kind of a cool callback in my opinion Mm -hmm. just going back to the original raid movie with this fight scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we get like, you know, Rama gets hit with the sharp part of the hammer, you know, becoming a fucking human. And Mm -hmm. and he's able to use that sharp part of the hammer to slice hammer girl's throat. And this sends baseball bat guy into a rage and Rama wins and then puts a fucking dent in baseball bat guys ahead. And it stays metal. It's so metal. is the, the movie the movie gives freaking gore this movie gives great gore payoffs mm-hmm. yeah like oh my god it pays off for gore mm-hmm. so what what was really fantastic is how he just lets go of the bat and it stays in his face mm-hmm. 
it's so cool. But yeah, I think this I think this movie and the last movie, they do a good job of balancing gore. Like they're not going too mm-hmm. over the top with it. Like, you know, like I'm not saying like over the top gore, me personally, I think it's fucking hilarious. Like when it's just yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just it's just comically so much gore. But here it's it's mm-hmm. just enough for me to still take it seriously. And I love that. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, ex- exactly. It is it it, it is a lot of gore, but it's enough to where you still are able to like take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way of putting it. Let's get on to the next fight scene. Rama oh. versus the mustached henchman. The chefs leave. And this guy, like it's, this is like the piece de resistance of the movie. It's a much more traditional, like linear hand to hand fight. Like, but it just still works so well they use their environment well smashing wine bottles breaking through glasses again some like hard-hitting styles of wing chun mixed with like salat like it's just so well done it i i really wish i could elaborate on the specifics that really like tie it together and make it fantastic but it's the way they use the environment the way it really does feel like an actual back and forth mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like oh the bad guy's kicking the good guy's ass but wait the good guy brings it back mm-hmm. no it's literally just they're trading blows they are two specimens mm-hmm. who are at their freaking peak mm-hmm. And they are just beating the snot out of each other. And it's, you see the guy get his ass kicked to high heaven and you see Rama get his ass kicked to high heaven. Like it is completely blow for blow the same, which is really great. Yeah, And from what I've been able to find, it took eight days to film this and contains almost, yeah. almost 200 shots. Again, hats off to these guys for making it look awesome and th- and also for telling a really good story like how will the injured tired man how will he come around against this man with a weapon so like but it and rama is able to survive this again leaving his bad leaving the bad guy in a bloody mess on a white kitchen floor it's just it's just chef's kiss if you're going to see any action scene from this movie definitely check out this one seriously i 100% i was i was hoping you would bring that mm-hmm. up if you are if you are semi interested in dipping your toes into the raid, which you 100 percent should mm-hmm. be, even if you're not really super into action, watch this scene and just let it decide for mm-hmm. you. And we get to the ending of the movie where Rama enters and slices up the remaining henchmen. Bejo limps over, tries to grab a shotgun, but it's intercepted by Uko, who shoots the henchman. Bejo tries to get another gun to shoot at Rama. Rama, you know, he gets hit a few times. Uko turns the gun on Bejo and shoots him, leaving him to choke on his own blood. Uko drops his piano wire he had on Bejo when he dies, and Uko shoots him dead in the face. Uko then turns to, you know, shoot at Rama, but Rama sees it in the mirror, you know, throws a knife at Uko, stabs him. Uko's crying as Rama embraces him. Uko dies and Rama just stands in silence for a brief moment as this piano music starts to fade in. And the tired, exhausted Rama limps away and he goes to leave the warehouse where we see bodies thrown all over the place. And Rama sees just a bunch of other mobsters waiting for him on the outside with just machetes and shit. They ask him like questions. We can't hear what they're saying. But the one word we hear Rama say is I'm done. And that's it. 
what a what an ending what a freaking ending that was a that was such a great ending oh my god it's just there, there there's no other way you could have I, I love it. how he says so much with two words it's it's he amazing does. it's it's you can those two words expressed exhaustion tiredness worry sort of just long amounts of just like homesickness mm-hmm. it's every sort of every sort of emotion that was going through rama is just like i'm done with this mm-hmm. i'm going home i don't care anymore yeah i i think you know again like i said this is my first time watching the raid too and I, i'm glad i watched it like i really think that like if you're more into like mob movies maybe the raid 2 is more your is more your speed but again wow what what a movie i Honestly, I see myself watching The Raid more often because, one, it's shorter, and two, everyone wants to sit around and watch a good action movie. If I wanted to have, like, a day to myself, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll rewatch The Raid too. But I definitely think that, like, both of these movies are – I don't think they're talked about enough. I think more people in the West need to be talking about these. Not, not just, like – not just stuck to, like, the film bro circle, but, like, more mainstream. I, we need that to happen. I I do need more people to talk about the raid. I do feel like I feel like the the Southeast Asian martial arts world is getting more known, mainly just because you have people like Eco Elias and Joe Teslim just begin to make their like slow crawl over into Western audiences that people are beginning to look back on stuff, but None the freaking less. I, I wholeheartedly agree. These movies are not even close to talked about the way they should because this should be up there with... This is up there with John Wick with... I mean, pick your damn action movie. Like, freaking... Like, Platoon. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it has the crime sprawling epic of, like, Goodfellas and also has the, the heart-pounding kung fu of, like, The Matrix. Mm-hmm. So why the hell isn't this talked about enough? Yeah, both like with watching these movies back to pack, it's it's an absolute treat. Definitely do it if you have a chance to. And yeah, Mike, I, mm-hmm. I don't have anything I don't have anything else to say. Do you have anything else any final notes you want to end with on uh on the raid, on the raid movies? Watch watch the damn raid. Yeah. Watch the damn raid. <laughs> well, Mike, but before we before we get out of here, huge huge announcement, guys. The Messed Up at Midnight, double feature, extravaganza. It's back. We are back again this October, and I am back. so excited because, guys, mm-hmm. this month we are talking about all things Hellraiser. We're going to go through uh, every single – No. What? what? Uh, no, what? no. You're – you, sh- No, no, no. Shut up. What? I'm, I'm commandeering this. Doing? All right. You, you tortured me. You, you tortured mean? me for one full month. With freaking after movies, I had to go to the damn. But theaters. you like those movies? Uh yeah, exactly. Uh huh. They were they were a damn treat. No, no, no. I'm getting. I told you. I said. I said the first after movie. I was gonna get you back. And God damn it, I'm gonna get you back, Mike. Easy here. Be easy. We are watching. We are for the double feature extravaganza. We are gonna watch 
Barbie movies the entire month of October. And I'm not talking Barbie with Margot Robbie. I mean, just, I mean I'd be fine animated. to talk about that movie for, you know, 10 times. As well. I could figure out different nope. ways to describe my love for Ryan Gosling. No, Mike, listen. It's, come no, it's come, come, come talk to me. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. All right. Let's talk about this. Let's talk. Let's let's you know, talk. It was a nice, it was a nice little gag, but you know, we, we don't have uh-huh. to talk about the Barbie movies. Like, let's just, let's just go into talking about hell. You know, it's Halloween. You know, we gotta, gotta do something a little spooky ooky, you know? Like, why, why, why you gotta do that? Why, why? We, we don't have to do that, Mike. Listeners, tune in next week when we oh, talk God. about Barbie and the Nutcracker. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna cover it. You remember all those all those animated Barbie movies from the two thousands that were animated horribly? We're doing it. We're doing them all. We're doing Thumbelina, Barbie and the Nutcracker, Fairytopia series, all of it, baby. I'm scared. Please send help. Uh huh. Revenge is a dish best served. Fuck you and pink. Guys, I think I'm going to cancel this podcast. Um, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> Not before October, you aren't. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Mess Up Midnight Podcast. Go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You guys know the deal. And enjoy my suffering. Why Why are you doing this to me, Mike? Why are you doing this? I thought we had something good. Get ready for Barbie, bitches. All right, guys. I guess we'll see you all next week when we're talking about Barbie movies. <laughs> Come on, Barbie. Let's go party. See you next week, everybody.